Since 2015, Pop Health Podcast has brought to you some of the best minds in healthcare, including leaders from government, not-for-profit, and investor-backed powerhouses, as they share successes, failures, and how our audience can move forward in today's constantly evolving healthcare world. Thank you for joining us for today's episode presented by 24-Hour Home Care. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Pop Health Podcast. I'm Gavin Ward, host of Pop Health Podcast. In today's episode, I had the opportunity to sit down with Lisa Coleman, who serves as a legislative director for the California Commission on Aging, an organization that advocates for older adults. And what I learned today is older adults can be considered often about 60 years old and above, but they try not to um, you know, focus just on that number. In today's episode, we look at three different areas of focus for the commission that Lisa will go over, which includes behavioral health, housing and homelessness, and workforce development. We also learn about an assembly bill and state bill that is being uh, advocated for by the commission that will really help ensure older adults have access and play a part in the decision-making process of laws and initiatives to basically ensuring older adults have a great place to live and serve here in California. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Feel free to check out other episodes of Pop Health Podcast by visiting us at popofpodcast.com, checking us out on our YouTube channel, or listening to us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy today's episode. Hi, Lisa. Thanks so much for joining the show today. Hey, Gavin. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. So, folks, I had the opportunity to meet Lisa at uh, what's called the C4A Conference, which is an association representing California's area agencies on aging and um, older adult population and heard some of the things that her organization is uh, advocating for and supporting. And that'd be great to have her on and uh, to share with us what's happening here in California. So Lisa, before we jump in uh, to your role, uh, let's talk about yourself outside of the workplace. We'd like to get to know our guests um, and some fun facts. So maybe something surprising about yourself outside, preferably of the workplace if possible. Um, I love to make costumes. Um, I have two granddaughters and a four-year-old granddaughter and a two-year-old granddaughter, and they love dressing up. And so I make all sorts of kinds of costumes, um, lion costumes and working on a bunny costume, princess costumes, mermaid costumes. Uh, I like to sew and, um, you know, being a grandma is kind of fun that way. I do a lot of, uh, they call them, this I think is interesting. When I worked in a facility, when we would make these, um, we, they were called fidget blankets. And they were blankets that would keep um, older adults um, calmer, right? Okay. Things that they could fidget with. But when you make the exact same product for a toddler or a preschooler, that's called a busy book. Busy book. Doesn't Ooh. a busy book sound so much nicer than a fidget blanket? Yeah, it does. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, th that's one of the things that I like to do. All right. Awesome. Well, uh, let's get to know a little bit about your background. Uh, tell us where you grew up and uh, maybe, you know, give us the journey and so how you ultimately got into uh, serving older adults. Okay. Well, I, I mean, the, the journey, my folks moved around a bit. So Oregon, Indiana, California. Um, I've been married for uh, going on 38 years. Awesome. So for 38 years now, we've been based in the Sacramento area, either downtown Elk Grove and now in Roseville. So I really consider, you know, 38 years, that's the bulk of my life. And I would say the bulk of my life has been in the Sacramento area. And okay. um, 
As far as how did I get into older adults, it was really, I just don't like crying babies. Um, <laughs> and um, I uh, participated in church and it was like, well, you know, you're a woman and you're in leadership. So that means you're going to work with the babies. Uh, no, that's not what that means. Um, if you ever see me holding a baby, Gavin, outside of my grandchildren, it's because I'm trying to care for the mother. You know, I'm trying to give her a break, not because I crave holding a baby, but, you know, <laughs> we won't tell them that. Uh, but anyway, so I think I've always just liked older adults. I think part of it comes from my faith. Um, I have lived a very blessed life. So when I talk about, um, you know, just my faith, if I talk about how I think God is good. Well, OK, you've been married uh, for a long time. Uh, you have healthy children, healthy grandchildren. Sure, God is good to you. But when I'm standing next to someone who's in their 80s or 90s and their hands are, are crippled with arthritis and maybe they buried a spouse or a loved one or, you know, the doctors have taken away uh, their, their driver's license or their ability to be independent. When that person stands up and says that the Lord is good, their testimony is beyond reproach. And I think it was that that ability as an older adult to, to overcome overcome challenges, to continue to find good in life, that was really appealing to me because um, I kind of struggle with that. I tend to see the glasses half empty. And so being around people that have gone through challenges, uh, they help me to understand that the life is good, um, that, that nobody gets out of it without some challenges. And yet, there's still a lot of good in life. And so that's really what drew me to this field. Um, I went to school. I um, got my degree in communication studies. And I took a, geront a gerontology class as a, a general ed. Okay. And I learned about the long-term care ombudsman program. And I just loved this idea of, of a person who was walking Google, you know, to know what the rules are and to help people, not by doing it for them, but just telling them what the rules are. Yeah. I always feel like when I know what's expected of me, I enjoy the process better. I feel more confident about myself and the choices that I'm making. Mm -hmm. And so I really appreciate that about the ombudsman program. Um, and there was something I, I want to share with your, uh, your listeners about the fundamental um, philosophy of the ombudsman program is it's about expressed wish advocacy as opposed to best interest advocacy. So I really want to hone in on this because I, I know a lot of your listeners are professionals. Yeah. They, they talk in terms of doing what's in people's best interest. And I get that, you know, doctors, nurses, parents, you know, children, they want what's in a person's best interest. But I, I don't have to live my life based on my best interest. I get to live my life based on my expressed wish. I mean, if it was in my best interest, I'd exercise more, I'd drink less, I'd have more in my savings account. But as long as I'm not breaking laws, if I, as long as I'm not hurting myself, you know, obviously, um, or hurting others, I get to live by, by my choices. And as an ombudsman, that was the big deal, you know? I, and I really liked working with 85-year-olds that had you know, diabetes and they wanted the cupcake. Yeah. You know, if yeah. you understand the consequences, let's figure out how you can get that cupcake, you know, 
Maybe you don't get the whole cupcake. Maybe you don't get a cupcake with a lot of frosting. Maybe you have to have it before lunch. Right? You know, let's figure this out, but let's empower people. And, and so that was the ombudsman world. And I think that's where the love of advocacy really came from. And that's just kind of where the career came. All right. Awesome. So you're serving as the legislative director uh, today. Yes. So tell us, legislative director, what, what does that mean exactly for the commission? Well, you know this story about the the little boy that throws starfish back into the ocean and the yes. old man's like, you know, you can't save them all. But in the boy says, well, I saved one. Yep. When I was an ombudsman and I helped a family or I helped a person, I was throwing one fish back. And then I worked in, I, I was the marketing director. I opened a large assisted living facility in Elk Grove. And so there we had a hundred rooms. And so I was helping a larger group. So I kind of thought I had an armful of starfish that I was helping at a time. But as a legislative director with the California Commission on Aging, I feel like I am going down the beach with a, um, you know, that the a big scraper. Yeah. We're not just doing a few starfish. We're doing hundreds and hundreds and thousands of starfish because as a legislative director, our um, the commission's role is to act as the people's advocate. That It's actually in statute that the Commission on Aging will advise the governor, the legislature, departments, both state and federal on all issues impacting older adults. And as the legislative director, my eye is really focused on um, not only the laws that we're looking at now, the laws that the that the legislatures are, um, you know, hearing and voting on, but also the creation of laws that will, in fact, make a positive impact um, on on older adults, the people that love them, and us as citizens that ultimately hope to be older adults. That's great. I love the starfish story. So when you mentioned it, I was like, oh, yeah, I know that one. Um, so when I think of like state entity that uh, is leading aging initiatives, I think of the Department of Aging. Mm -hmm. Tell us about your relationship with the Department of Aging and the connection there, if you mind me asking. Well, we I, OK, so the Commission on Aging is its own standalone department. OK. We, we are not, um, we do not, we are not accountable to the Department of Aging. The Department of Aging um, doesn't say what we get to work on and what we don't get to work on, but we are uh, in, a, in a, um, a symbiotic relationship because so much of what the Department of Aging does in its title and our title, that we share a, a common playground. And so we work really uh, closely with the Department of Aging, but the Commission on Aging is a standalone entity. Uh, so we, we are separate. And yet, because we're such a small organization, we benefit from the, the um, support of the, the Department of Aging. Okay, awesome. Tell us about some of the initiatives uh, you're working on today, Lisa. Well, the, the Commission on Aging, uh, we have uh, 18 commissioners. They're appointed by the governor, uh, by uh, senior uh, legislature on both the assembly and the Senate side. And these commissioners have a very wide and very professional background. Some of them are still working in their professions and others are retired. We have commissioners with experience in um, uh, the medical field, as practitioners, as um 
um, healthcare organization executives. We have legislatures, retired legislators, people that have worked within the Capitol. We have housing, we have education, we have behavioral health. So all of these commissioners have various passions that they wanna push forward. It's why they were appointed in the first place. And so we had the hard task of trying to narrow it down. What were we gonna focus on? And so for the last two years, we've had three broad policies. So the first is behavioral health. Um, and, and I am thrilled beyond measure that there were 18 different initiatives that made it into the governor's budget that talked about behavioral health. Because we feel very strongly that behavioral health is just as critical as your traditional health. Right. You know, what good is a, 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 a body if, if you're just broken inside? You know, so behavioral health and, and talking about behavioral health for older adults, um, there's there's a misnomer about what services are available for older adults. Um, you know, Medicare is primarily a therapeutic, a rehabilitative program. But if you're looking at um, decades of, of you know, depression or um, anxiety or um, trauma, eight sessions really isn't gonna do it. And that's really what Medicare is designed for. It's, it's designed for short-term therapies. Yep. And so we've been focusing on trying to um, elevate the fact that older adults do need behavioral health services. There was a study that was done um, just a few years ago that talked about only, um, oh, I'm gonna get this number, oh shoot, I'm gonna get this number right. It was, it was 30%, 30% of older adults suffer from anxiety, depression, or cognitive impairment. 30% have a diagnosis, Gavin. Yeah. Imagine how many more suffer from this but don't have a diagnosis. Right. And of that 30% that have a diagnosis, less than 4% utilize, long, utilize behavioral health services. And so just as the state is investing heavily in behavioral health services for young adults to address the growing suicide problem we have in our young adults, we're also starting to recognize that we need to be spending money and creating programs for older adults. Yeah. Well, um, it's, it's while older adults are not those that attempt suicide at the highest rate, White men are the most successful at suicide oh. because they don't attempt it; they commit suicide. Wow! So, so just to clarify, uh, thank you for mentioning behavioral health. One thing I forgot to ask is how are older de adults defined? Like, what age is older adult? That's a good question, and that bar moves around a bit. Okay. Um, historically, it's been sixty-five and older. But recently, the age was brought down to 60 for um, adult protective services. Okay. And it can be considered as low as 55. A lot of it has to do with health because you could be 55 and have the health conditions of an 80-year-old. And you could be 85 and have very good health. And so you wouldn't necessarily need older adult services that are historically considered for an 85-year-old. So for the Commission on Aging, we really kind of have, 
I try really hard not to get pinned into that number too much. But in general, 60 and above is kind of that mark. Um, But it really has more to do with health. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So uh, forgive me. So we were talking about behavioral health. So behavioral health. So that's one of our big priorities is focusing on behavioral health and and very excited about how the state has um, added a lot more for behavioral health. Um, Our second is workforce development. And I think your listeners will have heard a lot about workforce development, but we look at it both workforce development, you know, searching for those workers that are gonna provide services for older adults, but also workforce development from the perspective of older adults. And we have a lot of older adults that we need to figure out how to keep them in the workplace. If you look at the, the, the data, the data really lumps 65 and older together. And that's not really fair because at 65, there are a lot of people that are still happy to be working. There are people that are in their 80s that are still working. Um, But to to lump that whole 30-year lifespan together is probably not, not helpful. And so we're working really hard to try and piece out what can we do to um, help older adults that maybe want to stay in the workforce but don't want to do the same work or physically are not able to do that work or older adults that have left the workplace and now realize that their retirement is not it's not meeting their needs and so they need to resume going back into the workforce so how can we help transition them back into the workforce uh, and you know I, I won't say that you know COVID was really hard on, on our age group you know, yeah. um, so so it it feels wrong to say silver linings, but I say a tin lining, a tin lining of COVID was this whole idea of remote work, and that I don't have to actually go into an office to be productive, and so from an employer's perspective, um, they in the past were probably you know why would you hire someone for ten hours a week? Right. It's really not worth it to the worker to have to commute in for you know for a two hour day. But if I'm working from home and you don't have to have real estate as far as a land, you know, you don't have to have a desk set up for me. You don't have to have a computer station and, and a landline in the office set up for me. And if I don't have to go to the effort of commuting in and putting in just two hours, maybe I can continue to contribute but do it remotely. And so I think that there's going to be a lot of opportunity for our older adults to continue in the workforce longer by recognizing that, you know, what you and I are doing right now is of value and we're not in the same room. Exactly. That's cool. I didn't think of it that way. Um, But yeah, makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, so that's workforce development. So we got behavioral health, workforce development, and the, the, the next one is housing and homelessness. Um, that it is, I think, truly a very sad testament that the fastest growing segment of homeless for the first time, so those that have never been homeless before, but now in their 50s, find themselves sliding into poverty. The fastest growing segment of the homeless population for the first time are in California are those over 50. And I I, re, I want to focus on that. That's kind of my my bully pulpit. Is people slide into poverty? 
Um, and so I have my, I, I, I shared this story and I have my mother's permission to share the story, Gavin. Um, my mom was living in an independent apartment complex in Eugene, Oregon. And, you know, she had retired from working at Sears and I'm busy having kids in Elk, you know, in Elk Grove and I'm just doing my life. She's doing her life. We see each other on holidays. You know, I, I call her. It's good. We, you know, it, it's just kind of a normal mother-daughter relationship. And I think she's doing fine. And I get a phone call from my aunt and my aunt was on hospice at the time. And she was like, Lisa, I just need to let you know your mom has less than a thousand dollars a month and she's going in the hole. She's charging a lot. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She's got social security. She's got a, a retirement from Sears. Well, my mom only worked part time, you know, and she, she has the lowest allocation from social security and her pension from Sears. Again, she only worked part time and she never contributed to it. Wow. So it's $80 a month. Oh, wow. So when you take social security um, at the security and about $80 a month from her Sears pension, you know, so I call my mom up and I'm like, let's talk about this. And she just broke down into tears. She had almost $10,000 worth of consumer debt, credit card debt, and not a single dollar of that was frivolous, Gavin. It yeah. was um, a broken tooth. It was car registration. It was new tires. It was medication because it's the end of the month and she's out of money. You know, we had to make some choices. And what made sense in our family was for my mom to come and live with us. And so um, we call it assisted living. My mom assists me and I assist her. Uh, Gavin, she is still a far better cook than I ever will be. And so she does a lot of the cooking still. Uh, but my point is we need to be having these conversations. Yeah. Because my mother was still wearing the, the nice sweater that I got her from Macy's, because she was driving a Toyota, we kind of made certain assumptions that her middle-class standard of living was carrying into her senior years. And that just wasn't true. And so I wanna encourage your listeners to have those transparent conversations with the people that they love. Because what we're finding is those that are becoming homeless, if they can, those that are over the age of 50 that become homeless for the first time. So not the chronically homeless, not the people that have been, you know, in and out of, of poverty their entire life. But those that we thought were, you know, pretty solidly middle class, they can point to a single thing that led to this homelessness, a loss of a job, an injury, divorce or death of a partner, death of a parent, you know, they were living with their mom or dad and then mom and dad left or died and they weren't on the lease or yeah. mom and dad moved into a facility and that left the, the child homeless. Um, the, the high cost you know, of, of rent, not keeping up with the pace of their social security. So we really, we have to just start talking about it. Um, and, and I don't necessarily think that it's the state's responsibility to figure out all of this. I think uh, 
individuals need to be responsible for their own thinking about it, but we can make the conversation. We can, we can normalize it. And I think that's, that's where um, I'm so excited about the work of the commission. Uh, So behavioral health, workforce development and homelessness and housing insecurity. Okay, great. Uh, So we have just a few minutes left uh, here. And so I know there's a couple of assembly bills uh, that I have here. Assembly Bill 820 Mm -hmm. and uh, Senate Bill 544 Correct. are some initiatives. Um, Would you mind sharing about those? Absolutely. I'm going to start with uh, Senate Bill 544. 544. Uh, this is a operational bill for us. It is a, a an amendment to the Bagley Keene. Um, Bagley Keene is the the rules in which statewide boards and commissions have to follow it for um, communication, transparency to the public. And when COVID hit, the governor gave us a waiver and it allowed for our commission meetings to go virtual. And so, you know, we could do what we're doing here. You and I are, are having our meeting. It is open to the public, um, but we're not meeting in one place. And um, in uh, July 1 or June 30, those rules are going to be going away. And so we're going to have to come back meeting in one place physically. And um, we, you know, I feel like the genie's been let out of the bottle. We like this virtual stuff. We get greater participation, both from the public participating. They don't have to travel to Sacramento, um, but also our commissioners. Um, We get more participation from commissioners. We have some commissioners that, uh, you know, they they have a a difficult time traveling. We also have some commissioners that are just very, very busy. And if they had to take a full day off of travel plus attending a meeting, they might not be interested in serving on the commission because they've got a busy day job. So this is a technical bill, but we feel pretty, we feel very strongly about it. Um, so that that's that's one. And then the other one is uh, AB 820. Um, this bill has to do with increasing the representation of older adults on uh, statewide decision-making boards and commissions. Um, our, our chair, uh, Cheryl Brown, former assemblywoman, um, she likes to say, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. And if you don't have older adults at these decision-making boards talking about the needs of older adults, giving the perspective of what older adults need, uh, it's just not being considered. And so we, there are six different bodies that we're promoting that as a place to start, Gavin, I see us running this bill many times over because I don't think you can come up with any commission that wouldn't benefit from having an older adult representation on it. You know, what doesn't impact an older adult? Well, transportation, yeah. Housing, yeah. Education of children, yeah. We need more gerontologists, right? We we need people in this workforce. So so this bill. I, I think is going to have a lot of legs and, and both of the bills are doing well. So I'm excited about their prospects. Awesome. Well, Hey, Lisa, I mean, you ran through those uh, at high level very, very well. If people want to learn more about these two uh, bills, how can they uh, dig up some more information? Well, there is, um, let's see here. Um, the, 
the California Commission on Aging. You can find us on all the social media apps, you know, Facebook and, and Twitter and um, LinkedIn. Um, you can also subscribe to our monthly newsletter, um, Age Watch. Um, so if you go to the California Commission on Aging, if you Google California Commission on Aging, you'll come across our website and it has the links to all of our social information. And we also do post about our bills um, and copies of support letters. So if people want to to lend their two cents, we would be grateful for the support. And if they want to uh, put letters of opposition, I, I don't know how they'll reach us at all. Okay. <laughs> Funny stuff there. And um, while we're almost out of time here, I did want to give you space. I know you're passionate about a lot of things. We've seen it here, but maybe in the next minute or so, is there anything else that you're passionate about that we haven't touched on um, with the commission or just working with older adults? Uh, I would say if, if I had a magic wand, I want every one of your listeners to complete an advanced healthcare directive. I, I, re I don't care if you want to have kittens by your bedside when you're dying or bagpipes, I, that isn't what I want to know. But everyone needs to have the hard conversation of who is going to speak for you when you can't speak for yourself. And, and what do you want your, you know, how do you see yourself dying? Um, there was just an article I was just reading and it was talking about almost 20% of the people in the ICU end up with treatment that, really isn't beneficial to a quality of life. It's just that the mechanism has started. Yeah. And once we get going, we just, you know, well, we can do this and we can do this and we can do this. And because you don't have a document that says this is the line in the sand, I don't want any more after this point, the medical system just keeps turning forward. So that would be the thing I would ask. Um, everyone needs an advanced healthcare directive. My family jokes about it. I don't bring pie out at Thanksgiving until I can confirm that everybody has an advanced healthcare directive and they've talked about it with their responsible parties because there's nothing worse than discovering you are a person's person after the fact. Oh yeah. You want to know about it in advance. And so the way I do that is I have to uh, send your cell phone a copy of my advanced healthcare directive. And that way, as my responsible party, Gavin, you've got it in your phone. So if I oh, ever yeah. am hospitalized, you can, you can send that as a, a text message. You've got it and you've got all my notes. So you can reference it back. Even if you're sad, you have my words in your cell phone that, that affirm, this is what I want, Gavin. And so I would encourage all of your listeners, don't make it into a big deal. Just fill the form out. And then every time you get your driver's license renewed, renew your advanced healthcare directive. Because the person that you picked when you were in your 20s may be very different than the person you pick in your 40s. Yeah. And the decisions of what makes a quality of life is going to change as you grow older. And so um, an advanced healthcare directive shouldn't be something that you just consider a one and done. It is a living document. Well said. Well, Lisa, I really appreciate you uh, joining the show today and uh, sharing your passion. Uh, it was great to meet you last month at the C4A conference. So again, shout out to that organization. Uh, folks, again, um, feel free to Google California Commission on Aging. Uh, to find out all their socials, their website, et cetera, and learn more details about what we discussed today. Lisa, thanks again for joining the show today. You're very welcome. Thank you, Evan. Have a great day. You too.
Thanks everyone for tuning in to another episode of Pop Health Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. And if you have and want to check out other episodes, visit us at pophealthpodcast.com, iTunes or Apple Music, Spotify, Stitcher, and now YouTube as well. Take care.